The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Many voices are more powerful than one. When we share ideas, developments, and power, we can achieve anything. Welcome to DJ and DeBear, keeping you at the top of your game. Your hosts are Dieta Jones and Richard Dent. Together, they have made a worthy life that includes a family, two businesses, a foundation, and much more. They're ready to help you find your personal success. Now, here are Dieta and Richard. Welcome to DJ Welcome. and DeBear. I'm Dieta Jones. Hello, hello. I'm Dieta Jones, your host. I'm a social justice advocate, leadership, and organizational effectiveness coach, speaker, and author. I'm joined by my better three quarters NFL legend and pro football Hall of Famer Richard Dent. Hi there. Hi there. Hi. How are you doing today? I'm well. I know you left me early this morning. Oh, dark thirty. That's how yeah. I roll. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dark 30. I just get up and sneak out. Goodness, it was early. Hello there, and happy birthday to Mr. MLK, Mr. Martin Luther King. It's a very good homeboy of mine from Atlanta, Georgia, I would like to say. Yeah. Oh, here we go, Richard. You think we should do a little song? What? Come on, let's do Stevie Wonder style. Come I don't on. know. Happy well, yeah. birthday to you. Happy, happy birthday, birthday to you. Happy, happy birthday, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Woohoo! Okay, all right, all right, all right. You, you know, you guys, you know, I do have a gold record now. Yeah, yeah, that platinum. Yeah, baby. yeah. What? A platinum? No, uh, oh, we'll no. We'll get this no, no. next week. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. I'm a little ahead. That could, yeah, yeah, I have yeah. a few, a couple concussions sometimes, folks. <laughs> So D kind of keep me in line and kind of put me back in the right spot. All these so go right ahead, my dear. Okay, so for those great of you, today, yes, it is. Absolutely, it's a great holiday for those of you who are new to our show. And if you can't tell, Richard is the brains and I'm the brawn. No, no, just kidding. What? He's the what? beauty and I'm the beast. There you go. There you go. <laughs> no, right. no, no. That's that's at the side. We're here to fill the next hour of your lives with thought-provoking ideas, invite you to ask questions, add perspective, and have, as you can already tell, a few laughs with us along the way. Our topic for this week is Race in America and Beyond, Building a Sustainable Tomorrow. And we are joined by people for whom we have the utmost regard as experts in their field and deeply impactful practitioners. More importantly, each of these guests have been longtime friends of mine, Welcome, Alma Vigo Morales, Bart Kistler, and Blaine Harding. Hello, our friends. Hello, friends. Hi, hello. Hello. It's so good to have you here. So, so good to have you here. It's a blast for me. This is a blast from the past for me, you know, because, um, and Richard, I told you this, Barb and Alma and Blaine have been um, people who uh, you know intersected with me at, uh, with me in my life at some of the most critical times, and 
Blaine was my African-American history professor. Barb and Alma were people who um, got me on my path to uh, doing uh, uh, not just diversity work, but also leadership development. And all of them have been kind of coaches and mentors and friends um, and, and, and family for over 20 years. So I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you. That's great, great. Thank you. Nice Dee. to have you guys here. Thank you for the invitation. Thanks, so let me do let me do a little formal introduction, and, and then and then we'll get the ball rolling. I have some um, snippets from your bios, and for those of you who are listening, if you want a more complete biographical statement on each of our experts, you can find them on our website. Alma Vega Morales is co-founder and principal consultant with Diversity Solutions Group, specializing in domestic and global intercultural relations and the creation and implementation of diversity and inclusion strategies. She successfully led the diversity and inclusion functions at Kaiser Permanente Colorado, MWH, Agilent Technologies, and Hewlett Packard. After many years of accomplishments in the fields of human services, human rights, and health education. Being born and raised outside USA's mainland in San Juan, Puerto Rico, has provided Alma with a unique cross-cultural perspective. This experience continues to influence her deep understanding and commitment for diversity and inclusion and for facilitating culturally mindful behaviors that lead to effective relationships and organizational success. Barb Kissler provides consulting and training in the areas of diversity and inclusion, cross-cultural communication competence, organizational effectiveness, leadership, and management. She has 25 years experience designing and facilitating training and group process within and outside the United States. Barb teaches undergraduate level courses on leadership development, organizational behavior, and cross-cultural multicultural education at Colorado, Colorado State University. In addition to her work as a university educator and consultant in the private sector, Barb also worked for many years with Hewlett Packard Company in human resources management and organizational effectiveness. And last but not least, Blaine Harding serves as the Director of Multicultural Affairs at the University of Kansas. Blaine is also a consultant for private companies and has worked with over 40 institutions of higher learning across the country. He retired from Colorado State University in 2012, where he served as the Director of Advising, Recruitment, and Retention for the College of Liberal Arts. Professor Harding has taught courses in African American History and Ethnic Studies for the past 23 years. Mr. Harding has also served as a retention faculty member with the Council for Opportunity in Education, which oversees the National TRIO programs. He is a faculty member and past chair of the Summer Institute Advisory Board for the National Academic Advising Association, as well as the former chair of the Multicultural Concerns Commission. Whew, what an impressive... Whew, that, that's, that's, that's deep. <laughs> you know, I'm, I was thinking about, I was going through my books in here now and checking my grades. There was so much education that's going on here. I'm just like, do anybody need any coffee or ice cream or something? Maybe I can make a run and come back. You know, or, or no, maybe I need to stay on this line. Yeah, yeah, you need to stay on this line. No offense, well, I still have to right. here. <laughs> so, great honors, folks. Great honors. Go absolutely. right ahead, so, so let me, aside from all of your um, many accomplishments and accolades, let me just pull us to a conversation that's, that's hopefully going to get the ball rolling as far as, you know, us just having an exchange that's rooted in something that's probably familiar to a lot of our listeners. This weekend, um, Richard and I actually went together and took our six-year-old son to see the movie Sel- Selma. We wanted to uh, see it because we wanted to be the ones to introduce him to you know, the, the story of Selma, explain it to him and be the ones to actually do the explanation. But also, I wanted to get myself 
kind of emotionally ready for this show, you know, make sure I'm on high moral ground as far as where I'm emotionally at as we enter into this topic about race. Did any of you see it? And if you did, what did you think about it? Yeah, I saw it a couple of days ago, and a bunch of my staff members had seen it and told me that I'd need to go see it. And you, you talk about getting yourself emotionally ready and emotional high. I thought it was a very emotionally draining show. Um, it was just, just mm-hmm. the, the terror and the fear and the hatred and the violence and the victories by the end, but it was just an emotionally draining show to see that as part of our history and part yeah. of the past and a not-so-distant past. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a... Uh... To me, you know, it, when you look at something, and this is a, a tweetable, you know, and I knew I like my tweetables. But Richard's tweetable. This is, you know, uh, God's rejection is God's protection. To me, to be rejected, you know, if you understand that, then it's, a, it, it, it's work to find out what is wrong and what you have to do to get it right. And, and in this case, where, you know, one had the right to vote, but was being rejected. So, and the one that's being rejected, or the one that did the rejection, is the one that understood what they was, what they was doing. So, you know, but, you know, my mom always taught me, you know, we all are God's children, how you get to heaven is how you treat one another. So, to, to, to get a blessing, and that blessing puts you in a situation where I've always said, you know, if you understand rejection, then you got God's blessing. You know, that's the, the most important part of anything. Everybody's going to get rejected on something. But the point of it is, what do you do to get around that? What is the steps to not to be rejected? Mm-hmm. If I, could I think the movie showed the resilience of the people as well, that they brought together right. thousands of people. and They knew what they were facing, and they actually knew what was going to happen to them, but they knew that they were right, and they knew that they were just. And they was determined to, yep. you know, to get around this. And, and you know, mm-hmm. so that's why, you know, that, 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 that was the tough part that one would have to put their lives online. So let me ask really quickly, mm-hmm. that, that since, you know, it's been 50 years, it's been 50 years since they crossed that bridge in Selma. And there are so many things that are still unresolved, that are still open wounds for us, figuratively and literally, what, how do you feel about that? What, what should we feel about that? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Diera, this is Alma speaking. Uh, before before I, I tell you what I think about that question, uh, my hat's off to you for uh, introducing this topic so formally to your son of only six years old, hmm. because I know that this must be a very, very difficult conversation to have with someone that you love uh, of that age and how important it is. So I'm, I'm totally inspired that you were willing, the two of you were willing to do that this weekend or uh, in the last few days with, with your son. Thank you for doing that because that's exactly what we need to be doing, right? Absolutely. I don't want to add somebody else to teach him about early. race. Yes. <clears throat> and Dee, this is Barb. In, in response to your question, I have uh, feelings uh, on a, a multitude of levels. Uh, on the one hand, I'm incredibly hopeful, and, and having lived through this, grown up in the civil rights era the, in the 60s, 50s and 60s, that we are even having this conversation on national radio. It, it, 
that that to me is is an incredible step forward. And I think we while we've made progress, uh, we we still have uh, so far to go in terms of this journey and have made great strides and and not. So it's not an either or. I I don't want to give up hope that we are making progress and I also know and feel deeply saddened by what's gone on, what goes on today uh, in terms of not only race but also a multitude of other issues around social justice. So my feelings are I would say they're complex, they're hard to describe, and yet they're 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 a mixture. Let's let's pick up right there, right after right after break. I'm going to tr- switch out for uh, just a few minutes, and we're going to a commercial break. Please visit our website www.dietajones.com to check out our latest blog post, including the one on today's show. Share your comments. Hit us up on Twitter at Dieta M Jones and at Richard underscore Dent 95. Our phone lines are open, so call us 888-346-9141. We want to hear from you. We'll be right back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Richard Dent, a cornerstone of the Bears' overwhelming defense during their Super Bowl run and a 2011 inductee into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was an eighth-round draft pick out of tiny Tennessee State in 1983. The tall and skinny rookie wound up with a brilliant 15-year football career. Dent's fascinating story takes you behind the scenes of one of the fiercest, most dominant defenses in NFL history. Blood, Sweat, and Bears hits hard, just like its Hall of Fame author. Buy it now on Amazon or download it to Kindle. Dieta Jones has been delivering expert guidance through her speaking, consulting, and writing on leadership, management, and cultural diversity for more than 20 years. Her engaging style and infectious laugh combines with mastery of personal effectiveness tools and cutting-edge research. She is diplomatic, yet direct and concept-based, yet practical in her approach. If you are looking for a high-powered speaker for your next conference, consider Dieta Jones your ace in the hole. Call her at 312-870-9596 or visit her website at dietajones.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to DJ and DeBear, keeping you at the top of your game. To reach the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That number again is 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to djones at dietajones.com. Now, back to the show. 
we're back and continuing our conversation on race in America and beyond, building a sustainable tomorrow. Just before break, we had a couple of really interesting comments that came from you, our guests, and I want to give us each an oppor- give you each an opportunity to delve into those a little bit more because they were wonderful. Um, well, one of the things that you picked up on was the comment that I made about taking our six-year-old son to see the movie Selma. I, and I mentioned during the break that I've actually had a number of exchanges with people on social media about, you know, the appropriateness of taking my six-year-old son to see something that is so filled, you know, kind of emotionally draining the way that Blaine described it and filled with hatred and violence. Tell me, tell me why it is that you, you applauded our efforts at taking mm-hmm. our six-year-old son. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, there, there is abs- there's no question that um, what happened in Selma and the messages of, of Martin Luther King are essential to your son and to your son's life and to his future. And so the, the earlier that he begins to learn about, about those lessons from you, by the way, from you, his mom and dad, um, the better, I believe. I, I believe that at six, at six, you're able to comprehend quite a bit. I have not seen the movie, Diera, so I don't know exactly how disturbing it is in terms of violence, but um, I essentially believe that the conversation for him should have started, if not already, by now, about what what does race mean and what are race relations like in the U.S., in his country, in his home, and what are they not like, etc., We use it as an opportunity to, we debriefed with him, both of us. We sat together and talked about it for a long time. And then we sat last night and while everybody else was watching football, I flipped back and forth between uh, Oprah's uh, Selma 50 um, show. And we used it as an opportunity to talk about what does it mean and what it, you know, what to try to help him understand, as you talked about, Barb, kind of the complexities of this issue, that it's not there are some people who are good and some people who are bad and they all share the same skin color. But instead, to be able to understand that, you know, there are there are complexities and it's important for him to 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 see himself as a person who is going to have to navigate through some of those. I also Mm -hmm. I think we also felt like it was important for us to be the one to introduce him to the topic Mm -hmm. of race, racial understanding rather than Mm -hmm. somewhere else. Race is something that's 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 taught, you know, and um, I mean, and Shiloh knows, you know, right for wrong, and and he sees things as wrong. You want to know why, and so mm-hmm. it, it, you know when you can talk about it, then you can get somewhere. But holding up inside puts you in a space where you know you don't want to be. Mm-hmm, exactly. Not only not only is it important for his mom and dad to be the teachers of all these lessons, or the essential teachers, because he will have many others. Yeah. But also, I don't. I wouldn't want your son to to also learn the lesson that it's better to be quiet, to be silent, mm. and not talk about Amen. this topic. Amen, Alma. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah. He, did. Um, he, he asked me that. that. He asked me that. So he's saying, is basically what they're saying on Selma that brown equals bad and peach, that's, his, that's the way he talks about white people, peach equals good? And I said, oh, no, absolutely not. That is absolutely not it. And, mm-hmm. and it was wonderful to be able to have that discussion and to really try to help him understand intellectually, emotionally, you know, what some of the concepts are, and know that this is going to be a lot of conversations over many years, of course. Mm. Well, you know, kids always going to ask, you know, why I'm light, why he's dark, why you this way, why that way. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to give them some kind of foundation of 
of what's taking place and why things are, are the way they are. Mm-hmm. Blaine, yep. you mentioned you mentioned something during break that I wanted to ask about. You you talked a, a bit about um, you used the phrase post racial America. Are we a post-racial America? I mean, I, I have to tell you that when I'm out in the world, people don't want to talk about race. It, it's uncomfortable. They think we've gotten past it. Yeah. You know, Justice Ginsburg said we've actually slid backwards. What, where are we? Can you help us understand, you know, from your point of view, where are we? Are, are we in a post-racial America? What is that? What does it mean? What are, how do we know where we are? Yeah, I know a lot of people believe we're in a post-racial America, and the really conversation started about post-racial America with the election of President Obama in 1908. And then after that period, because now we had a biracial president that was actually in the highest office in the country, people were feeling that a number of whites had voted for the president, so therefore we were past race, and race wasn't the key issue that served as a barrier that segregated people, that it was other issues such as class, but to me, we still are in a, we're not in a post-racial America. We haven't had a serious national conversation about race. That's why I'm really surprised that folks would berate you or at least say that you shouldn't be talking to your six-year-old because we've got to start that conversation sometimes and we've got to start it very early on. Um, the other reason people think we're in a post-racial America is because the number of interracial marriages has drastically increased, especially in the past 10 years. So to a lot of people, that indicates a post-racial America. But if you take a look at data, if you take a look at statistics, and I don't care what category it's in, it could be education, it could be individual income, it could be family or household income, and you take a look at the order, you know we're not in a post-racial America. You know so, you, so, if you, so if you look at, it's been 50, 60 years since no. one has been able to write to do this and that. Uh, no. And with the data that you have over the last 50, 60 years, where should we be or or what percentage? I mean, when you look at the data part of it, where is it one should be in this space and what percentage of where we are today? Um, well, I wouldn't look at data in terms of just statistical representation. And I know people want to look at that way, that there are 18% African-Americans, so they should have 18% of this or that. And I don't mean that. I don't mean that it needs to be evened across the board because individual choices and individual talents and skills come into place. But when you take a look at educational and the things that I just mentioned, it always seems to be white, Asian, black, Latino. And when it breaks down into that category that way, I know statistically that indicates to me that there still is a high degree of racism out there, even though we're not talking about it. So this is, funding, sure, this is funding source in education as right. when you look at it. That's right. And we need to have opportunities for folks. President Obama just said a couple weeks ago that if you want to work for it, community college should be free. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. got to be a way to mm-hmm. educate the populace, and we're not doing that. Aren't, aren't some of these things that aren't, aren't some of these things kind of uh, cyclical? You know, there there are you know we we've, we've taken strides forward. We've had we've had increased access to education. We have had you know examples of people who have done really well. You know, I'm just playing the devil's advocate here. By the way, we've had mm. people who have done really well financially. We have people who are exceptions or even a strong, solid middle class to some extent in some of these communities. Why, why, does, why does this topic have to be so important to us? Why is it that, you know, yeah, we should still keep making inroads here or there, but why is it that race is really the thing that we can put our finger on as the problem? How do we know that race is the actual issue here and it's not something else that's causing some of these, you know, uh, uh, limitations in access or limitations as far as our ability to, to make advances? 
Barbara Elmer, you want to take a stab at that one, or do you want me to try? <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, this one thought that I'm having really quickly. Um, this is such a big, such a big question that you're opening up, Dieta. Um From my perspective, I am so grateful that we are still talking about yeah. race and race relations. There is so much to learn. There is so much to undo. Uh, our country has uh, uh, such a deep, deep history, uh, not, not pretty, around race and race relations. We have, we have so much to learn, and, and our, our little brains are not capable, our emotional... Um, um, we haven't detoxed from that space yet as, as a country. So how can you cleanse yourself and say we're moving forward if you haven't really took a, a truly opportunity of saying let's cleanse ourselves of this and, and these are the steps we have to do. And to understand even, to even how that begins with understanding what happened in this country. Yeah. What happened? How did it come to happen this way? What was going on before uh, that that led to what happened in this country around race? How about starting with understanding? I don't even know that we're capable of <laughs> of getting to the answer to that, much less figuring out what do we do in right. the future. And, and things are getting better. So I'm so grateful forward, that we're still talking about race and race relations. We have so much to learn. We are not the generation that's in charge right now. Say that again, Go ahead. Go ahead. If you take a look at this current generation, they're far less discriminatory or racist than previous generations have been. This is the most diverse generation in the history of the United States, but this generation is yet to get to positions of power. So it's not the generations that are controlling things economically or politically. Those are still our generations. They're the generation that we grew up in, not the generation that's coming up after us. So, yep. so is Blaine, exactly. what you're saying is that some of the reason, I mean, the explanation for some of the things that we have seen recently in the news and all over the news about, you know, Tamir Rice getting shot, a 12-year-old boy holding a, to to a toy gun in Cleveland getting shot and left to, to bleed, mm -hmm. or, um, you know, Eric Garner uh, being, you know, having a chokehold, uh, uh, mm -hmm. being, you know, police in a chokehold and he, him not... Um, being the police not being prosecuted those those are things that have to do with people in the position of power it's not it's not that we race is really an issue for young it's it's that young people are the future the hope but people who are in the position of power are the people who are still holding on to residual racism and that's the reason why we're experiencing these things today oh i'd agree with that 100 percent I work mm. with students all the time. I've been on a college campus for 25 years. I've seen the changes, but they've got to get to a position where they're in their 40s or 50s and they're assuming those positions of power. That's going to come, you know, another generation from now once they've matured. Well, I hope you know, so. I, 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 when I look at just numbers come across today about the, uh, the, the sniper movie this past weekend did, you know, somewhere close to $100 million and and you look at uh, Selma, a movie that, now if it was vice versa, it, it would say that mm, America really wants to know what is past and, and what and what was done and, and where we're going. But yet, you know, the movie has been put, you know, kind of like back burner, really not getting any awards to, to, to other movies that, uh, you know, just seem to be a, a, a lot different and, and, and doesn't really have much 
much there outside of patriotism. Which I'm going you know, to jump in for a second because that's a perfect place to pick up after after we take a little commercial break. I'm going to ask us to switch gears for a few minutes. And while we're at commercial break, please visit our website, www.dietajones.com. Check out our latest blog post. Hit us up on Twitter. Our phone lines are open, 888-346-9141. We'll be right back. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. Richard Dent, a cornerstone of the Bears' overwhelming defense during their Super Bowl run and a 2011 inductee into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was an eighth-round draft pick out of tiny Tennessee State in 1983. The tall and skinny rookie wound up with a brilliant 15-year football career. Dent's fascinating story takes you behind the scenes of one of the fiercest, most dominant defenses in NFL history. Blood, Sweat, and Bears hits hard, just like its Hall of Fame author. Buy it now on Amazon or download it to Kindle. Dietta Jones has been delivering expert guidance through her speaking, consulting, and writing on leadership, management, and cultural diversity for more than 20 years. Her engaging style and infectious laugh combines with mastery of personal effectiveness tools and cutting-edge research. She is diplomatic, yet direct, and concept-based, yet practical in her approach. If you are looking for a high-powered speaker for your next conference, consider Dietta Jones your ace in the hole. Call her at 312-870-9596 or visit her website at dietajones.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to DJ and DeBear, keeping you at the top of your game. To reach the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That number again is 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to djones at dietajones.com. Now, back to the show. We're back and continuing our conversation on Race in America and Beyond, Building a Sustainable Tomorrow. Just before break, we were having a discussion about, you know, kind of how tough it how tough it is to to sit and watch a movie like Selma, for example, um, not get the same kind of uh, attention and accolades as a movie like American Sniper, for example. Not to put down American Sniper, but just to to draw a distinction. And and during break, we had a really interesting conversation start with Barb. Barb, would you would you be willing to pick us up where we left off, where we were talking about during break? Oh sure. My my comment is as a white person, and I can't speak for all white people, but that uh, a movie like Selma, uh, which is very real and very um, current in our history, uh, uh, generates a lot of shame for for its historical impact. And I, as a white person, then have to deal with that shame. I it's in it's in my face. 
in that movie. I can I can not deal with it by not seeing it, not giving it energy, and then going to, you know, some other thousand zillion miles away drama like Sniper, and and it's not so real for me uh, as as a movie like Selma, which is in my lifetime, and it it's. It's my history as a white person. It's the privilege that I have of being white, whether I was involved in the in, in the historical context or not. And so it just it just makes for a lot of um, personal umps to have that to, uh, to have it present. Barb, because I know that you care about this, and as, as do every as all of us on this phone line. We care more about building bridges and building allies than we do about marginalizing. And so given what you just said and understanding that there is shame and guilt that, you know, people, uh, especially when kind of their privilege might be up too close, up close and personal in their face, what can we do? What is the appropriate solution for dealing with that guilt or some of the steps to move forward past the guilt and still be an ally and, and not uh, internalize yeah. the points? Great, great question. For me, it's it's um, uh, starting with myself and and working through the the is the issue of separating who I am as a person from the historical impact of of racism. If I if I don't do that, be then I as a white person, I that means I am evil or bad because. It was my racial heritage that perpetrated that. So I have to be able to say I am, I have to be able to deal with the fact that I am white and not be ashamed of that and at, and at the same time understand what that means in terms of historical context, in terms of white privilege. As soon as I can start to separate that, then I have something to deal with. But I can't live uh, from a place of being ashamed of who I am. At, at, yeah. on any issue. And yeah. so that's the first thing. The first thing I, I do in terms of my work is help people separate that. The other thing that I have to say as a person who has known you for many years and a person who um, has been touched by your the, the work that you've done, one of the things that you did for me that I think was so, um, that, that showed me your character more than anything else was that you didn't pretend that my experience and your experience are the same. And that um, that you understand the world that I live in, because you have experiences that may have, that may sound similar. That you um, are willing to talk to me about race and racial inequality as I experience them and honor those things. To me, that has always been something that I've I've felt is an honorable characteristic in people and. I feel like you know a lot of the messages that we've got, especially in workplaces. I think. Are, are the opposite, where we say to people, and we've been told because they're trying to avoid, you know, uh, claims of discrimination, not to talk about race, not to talk about difference. And, and so now we have these, this kind of uncomfortable, uh, you know, cognitive dissonance between, am I not supposed to because, I'm, you know, I might be offending someone or should I? Is it really um, racist of me to ignore the fact that, you know, I'm curious or I have questions or I want to understand another person's perspective. Can any of you talk to that, that cognitive dissonance, that uncomfortable space that we're in between the two extremes? 
Well, I think it's an uncomfortable space because, number one, we haven't had that conversation. But I think it's also an uncomfortable space because people don't know the language to use. And they don't know how to talk about it. They don't know how to approach it. And as you said, they're really fearful that they're going to offend someone. So I think mm-hmm. if we're going to get to the point where we can have the conversation you're talking about, Dieta, it's got to come from both positions. It's got to from the, the position from those that are actually part of the history and part of that oppression, but also from those that have actually been recipients of that oppression. We as black people, we as brown people, have to be open to the conversation, knowing that the conversation is going to be uncomfortable to who we're speaking with, knowing that they're going to make mistakes during the conversation, but also knowing we can use that as an opportunity to educate people. Mm-hmm. And at a very, very personal level, this is Almadira, I need to learn practically how to get comfortable with discomfort, with this kind of discomfort, so that I can continue to participate in these kinds of conversations. Because if I don't know how to do that practically, what do I do when I get so uncomfortable? Right. Um, I'm, I'm going to shy away the minute that I feel it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really great approach. You know, it's, it's interesting. A couple, maybe just a year and a half or so ago, I was doing a diversity and inclusion assessment for a very large corporation that has a huge commitment to diversity. And we did a, a focus groups at a variety of different um, uh, locations for this particular company. And we talked about, we asked about a variety of different diversity and inclusion related topics, everything from age and gender to sexual orientation and race and I have to tell you, of all of the specific topics that came up, diversity-specific topics that came up, to a site, every, every single part of that organization felt more uncomfortable talking about race than any of the other issues, any. And, and, and it, it, really, it really is important for us to understand that it, it, is, it is a courageous act for us to be having this conversation here, but also for us to have these conversations in our real lives but, but it, it won't get man, better unless we do. Yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing that people, the things that people feel comfortable, they can talk about relationships, sex, uh, uh, who's dating who, or, but yet, <laughs> you know, this one sensitive subject that you have to, you know, for, for you to grow in life, you know, God is always blessing you, but yet, and he's going to bless those topics, the things that, you should be talking about that seems to come around all the time, but you can't seem to get through it. And the only way you can get through something, you have to step in and get in it and get involved in it. Then at that point, you know, the door is open to other things that you might have problem in doing or or you have problem in, in achieving. It, it's, you know, you never know how your blessings come. If I feel um, completely shamed and blamed, whether it's coming from someone else or myself, I, I can't. I don't want to go there. And so we have to have good. these conversations around responsibility and and um, accountability without mm-hmm. cutting mm-hmm. them off at the knees yeah, learn from a blame and shaming place. Learning how to do that practically. Yeah. Yeah. What are the tools? You know, what does it take for me, as a, for example, as a Latina? What does it take for me to engage in this conversation? I'm a biracial person. And that grew up with a whole other, a whole other history uh, around race, and, and that surfaces all kinds of feelings for me as well. So how do I engage in this conversation? There so I, I don't know how someone hold things in them 
so long that, you know, there's no blood on my end, you know, in my family tree, maybe, or maybe it's in your great-great-grandfathers or something, maybe did some things wrong, had slaves or whatever it may be. But this is where you get the chance to to turn the table on that, you know, yep. just because mm-hmm. it's in your yeah. history or it's, or it's in the back of your, your mind or it's in, in your mirror, you know, but this is the time that you can make things better. So that's why I don't see why it's so sensitive that people talk about something that the ancestors was involved in or are they right. still teaching it. it just or even if my sense. ancestors, and, and Richard, even if my ancestors weren't, I, you know, I come from Europe, Eastern Europe, I'm first gen. That doesn't that doesn't discount my white privilege from right. from a history that I have inherited, and I have to be able to talk about that. Yeah, but I think I think Richard's right when he says that, that it's in the back of their mind. But I think the problem is that for many white Americans, it's not in the back of their mind. Not at all. It's not because they don't have to think about it. It's not in front of them. They're not constantly reminded of it, and they have the option not to think about it at all. So I think mm-hmm. unless we're raising their conscious and raising the conscious of the country, we're not going to have those conversations because they're not in front of us unless you're personally experiencing it. That's why the polls are very different between what white America thinks and their perception and what black America thinks and their perception because one is living it and one is not. Lane, I have my hand up in the air right now. You know, I feel like you're, I just feel like we're at church right now. <laughs> because that's the essence, and it's the, it's the difference in experience, in experience of a of a reality that we assume is shared, and it's really quite different. And to, to really different. And to me, that's the essence of it. You know, once we at least are willing to acknowledge that our realities or our understanding of the same what seems like the same reality is different, then from there we can build. But unless we're willing to to believe that there's a perception different, that there's a that there's a, a need to to refocus on the future and the present, then then we're not going to get too much of anywhere. Really quick, before we before we wrap up this segment, the, I want to make sure that after we come back from our last break, we talk about what are some of the solutions, what are some of the levers, what are some of the things that we might do going forward. Now, I heard you say that we still have a lot of understanding to do before we can get to solutions. But short term, there have got to be some strategies, some things that are, are, you can leave our listeners with that will give them some ideas of things that they can do at a personal level, at systemic or institutional levels, at community levels to try to have an impact. Because the goal here is to find a sustainable tomorrow, not to throw our hands up and feel hopeless. So I'm going to turn us one last time to a commercial break. Last time, visit our website, dietajones.com. Hit us up on Twitter at Dieta M. Jones and at Richard underscore Dent 95. We'll be right back. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. Richard Dent, a cornerstone of the Bears' overwhelming defense during their Super Bowl run and a 2011 inductee into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, was an eighth-round draft pick out of tiny Tennessee State in 1983. The tall and skinny rookie wound up with a brilliant 15-year football career. Dent's fascinating story takes you behind the scenes of one of the fiercest, most dominant defenses in NFL history. Blood, Sweat, and Bears hits hard, just like its Hall of Fame author. Buy it now on Amazon or download it to Kindle. 
Dietta Jones has been delivering expert guidance through her speaking, consulting, and writing on leadership, management, and cultural diversity for more than 20 years. Her engaging style and infectious laugh combines with mastery of personal effectiveness tools and cutting-edge research. She is diplomatic, yet direct, and concept-based, yet practical in her approach. If you are looking for a high-powered speaker for your next conference, consider Dietta Jones your ace in the hole. Call her at 312-870-9596 or visit her website at dietajones.com. Live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Get motivated. Hear about success stories and positive encouragement. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to DJ and DeBear, keeping you at the top of your game. To reach the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That number again is 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to djones at dietajones.com. Now, back to the show. We're back and continuing our conversation on race in America and beyond, building a sustainable tomorrow. So one of the, okay, our, our, our conversations during breaks have been so juicy. I have to pick up on another topic that came up. And mm. it, was about, it was about the dignity that was conveyed in the movie Selma of those people, even though they were getting beaten and brutalized. They, they had such a sense of dignity. And, and I loved that. And it made me feel so proud. And it was something that was wonderful to talk to my son about. But I also remember, and this is close to home, Ferguson, where there was so much negative attention on the physical dress and appearance of the protesters. Can we talk some about this topic of dignity? Yeah, yeah, we sure can. And and I think sometimes people misunderstand what dignity is. Dignity isn't demonstrated through your clothes. Dignity (laughs) isn't demonstrated through your hairstyle. Dignity is demonstrated through your attitude and through your actions. It's the attitude and actions of the folks in Selma that really showed you that they had dignity. And if you really take a close look at the folks in Ferguson, regardless of how they were uh, 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 reported on, they also had that sense of dignity. They knew what they were doing was right and just. So it's hard. It's hard. I wrote a blog post about Ferguson, and I... I, um I, I really, it took me days to write it because I had so much kind of rage in my heart. I was so angry just about what felt like an honest human injustice. Mm-hmm. And, and then I realized, you know, what I want to do is to be an advocate. I want to be an ally. I want to be helpful and not inciting hate. Um, so what do we do? I mean, isn't it it's natural that we're going to have human emotions in response to what feels like injustices. It's natural that if we feel like someone's heel is on our neck, we're going to want to protest. What are some of the other alternatives? I, I feel like people are being blamed for demonstrating, but they're not getting resolution. It's like we're not being heard. What do, we, what do you suggest? What can we do differently? I think so, that we could oh, do go ahead, Frank. Go ahead. Was that Barb or Alma? Barb. Go ahead, Barb. Go ahead. 
So what I'm doing is uh, I, I'm several things. D, I'm continuing to learn. I'm getting in, I'm involved in local issues. I'm uh, I'm in interacting and and uh, being befriending or being friends with, having developing relationships with people. I'm looking at the systems that at our university and getting involved in the uh, in the ways I can where I have power to change basic policy i'm i'm uh, doing those kinds of things uh, to continue and i think i'm voting i'm i'm not checking out actively not checking out a friend of mine said i'm i'm done with causes i'm done <laughs> i said no i'm not you know I, I i will continue because it's in my best interest to yeah. do so and my children's best interest and I agree, and it's got to be on an individual level. It's got to be on an individual basis. And, and we've got to move the conversation forward. You know, how many years now have we been having conversations about diversity, about racism, about multiculturalism? And at the beginning of the show, I think Dieta said something extremely important, that the conversation has to move into the realm of social justice. We've got to be mm-hmm. able to create create equity for everybody out there so that we have equality of opportunities for everybody based on their talents and skills. So the other day, let, let me just pick up on that. Is our because I, I have a I have a, a a question. The other day, I was watching uh, an episode of The Good Wife because I knew it focused on a Ferguson type uh, experience, and so I really wanted to see it just to see what was out there in a popular culture. And it was wonderful. It was really interesting. And and during the show, uh, there were two candidates who were running for a state attorney, and they had this discussion about race. And one person said, the star of the show said. I'm not here to tell you I'm going to end racism. That's too lofty a goal. That's too amorphous. What I think we need to do is change the systems that make 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 it less bureaucratic for people who are the best and the brightest and who really want to be able to have an impact. Make it possible for them to actually be part of the system and be able to affect change. What do you think about the ability for us to impact an issue like racism? versus really focusing on systems and bureaucracy and more pragmatic approaches. Is, is racism too lofty a goal to try to conquer racism? For me, this uh, is Alma, I believe that working on, this, on systems, as complex as they may be, is working on racism, is working on ending racism. Uh, it doesn't have to be... I don't have to. I don't even have to be as as inspired and as um, uh, incredibly bright as Martin Luther King. I can look at where it is that I am. Where is it that I am involved on a day-to-day basis? Where you know where? What are the books that I'm reading? What are the conversations that I'm having? What are the what people am I engaging with? What people what? kinds of friends am I making? What, who, who am I leaving out? Um, it's on my day to, on a day-to-day level that I can have an impact. And in fact, it helped to end racism. It, it, uh, it's not, you know, it, it's not a very romantic, romantic notion about ending racism. It's very, very practical the way I believe will happen. It's on a day-to-day basis. And it, love- by the way, it happens in English and it happens in Spanish. And it can happen in any, <laughs> any language, right? In any culture. 
we must be working on this on yeah. a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and I agree, and it's individual and group, but unless we're working on the systemic and the institutional level, because we're a country that's driven by institutional structures, whether they be religious or political or economical or educational, so unless we're changing those institutional structures and we're changing systemic racism, then we really haven't hit the key. We can change it individually right. if it's still be built in our structures. Yeah. Exactly, Blaine. And, and then what I need to do when I hear you say that is translate what are the systems that I am involved with on a day-to-day basis? Is it church, or is it my neighborhood, or is it the, the, my place of work, or is it my school? I need to be able to translate those beautiful words into practical action on a day-to-day basis for me, because if it stays too big, too amorphous, or, uh, or too intellectual, I will shy away and... and believe that I don't have the power to, to engage at that level. Yeah. I need to be able to translate it. Yeah, and, 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 and if I can say, I mean, I, I believe, you know, I spend a lot of money in taxes. All my money shouldn't go in, in areas that spend a lot of money in taxes. And if you're in a state, you should spread the money out equally because we all use the state the same way. Well, in, in, in schools is, is what yeah. I'm speaking of. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And something near and dear to our hearts. So we have three minutes until we close. And so if, if each of you, Blaine and Barb and Alma, were going to give us a, a takeaway, one, one specific thing, either something that you're working on, a resource that you found particularly effective or, or helpful, or one thing that you really want to leave us with, what would it be? I would want to leave you with that. Stay in the game. The in you. I think the change is in each and every one of us, and we've got to make a decision of whether or not we're actually going to be part of that change and part of the change in a positive way, or else we're going to sit back and just allow things to perpetuate like they've been. So change is in each and every one of us, either on a macro or micro level, and we've got to utilize that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree. It, I, I, I'm choosing to stay in the game yes, every day with every interaction. It's in my best interest, and it's in the best interest of my children and my children's children and my friends and my community. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And, and for me, uh, if, I, if I can continue to understand how race and racism has everything to do with me, whether I am white, whether I am Latina, whether I am black, whether I am Asian, uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Race and racism affects and has affected me. And how is that? If I continue to learn how is that, understand that, I will continue to stay in the game because it's in my best interest. I need a better world. Absolutely. Thank you so, so much. I, uh, we have nothing but respect, regard, so appreciative of your time today. All three of you, we send you uh, tons of love through the airways. And to all of those who are listening today, thank you so much. Please uh, send us your messages, your tweets, your Facebook, your blog, post responses, anything at all. We'd love to keep this conversation going and hear about some of the strategies that you're using in order to make an impact in your community, in your life and keep working to make a dent on these big, tough, naughty issues. Please join us again next week when our topic will be, oh, Richard, we are going to have the 85 bears with us next week. <laughs> <That ain't> coming. <laughs> I'm your man, Dick. Yeah. 
There you go. Super <laughs> Talk about blast from the past. Know yeah, where you come from. Just, so that's really every, looking in the mirror, isn't it? Yeah, there you uh, go. Thirty years ago, guys. Uh, forever. Wow. <laughs> you guys not bear fans, are you? Yes. Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> okay. I was just checking. I didn't know. I want to make sure we got us a new coach this week, so there maybe is. he's going to make some people accountable for their action. There you go. Until, Had a good one until too. Next week, everyone, <laughs> keep trying to make a dent in pursuit of your goals and our our shared dreams. Take care. Thanks again for tuning in. Please join Dietta Jones and Richard Dent for another edition of DJ and the Bear. We'll be back next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a terrific week. 